Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking to Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. They co-founded Future Focused Parenting, the parenting philosophy that starts with the end in mind, encouraging families to make intentional parenting choices. They co-host the Raising Adults podcast, where they discuss parenting with a long-range view. Both Kira and Dina are parent coaches, authors, and speakers, and are passionate about preparing families to thrive rather than just survive on their parenting journey. Kira is the mom of almost 10-year-old twins, and Dina has five kids between 17 and 22. Welcome, Kira and Dina. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I would say seven kids between you makes you uh, experts. That's You've got your expert credentials right there. <laughs> there's a lot of people. There's a lot of humanity. Yeah, there's a lot of little friends. Hard-earned expertise. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start by talking about the future-focused parenting philosophy. Tell us what it is. Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit different than how a lot of people approach parenting. So Kira and I laugh a lot because the things that come up when you're trying to be future focused and life tries to thwart you are often very hilarious. But here is the crux of what we're all about is really parenting with the end in mind. So instead of just dealing with whatever parenting struggle crops up in the moment and trying to figure it out, you're actually working from a place of being proactive instead of reactive or preventative rather than diagnostic is another way that we say it. So you're constantly parenting with a long range view. Another great way to think about it is you're asking yourself the question, who is the adult I'm trying to raise? So when you're handling a situation, you're really thinking about what are the ramifications of the way I intervene on the sibling fight right now? Or who is this person that I'm hoping is going to go out into the world someday? What kind of character traits do I want them to have? And how am I working to instill those? And when I think about that, I think primarily, not maybe not primarily, but I think about this idea of like, well, they're not going to go to college with a pacifier, you know, the kind of things that people <laughs> talk about, like maybe. And I even find now that my youngest is eight, that... You know, I look back at some of the desperate struggles and I feel like I don't even remember how they ended up potty training, but I remember it was horrible and, and it seemed like it would never happen. <laughs> so is that part of what you're talking about? Well, it's definitely an aspect of it is like 
really looking at, okay, what are those things that I can maybe let go? Because we all know they're not going to walk down the aisle with their blankie, right? I mean, probably not. I have one who might. Right. (laughs) My mantra was they will not walk down the aisle in a diaper. And if they do, well, they've found someone who loves them anyway. Well said. You know, and that's an achievement in itself right there. So, yeah, but I think it does help you make those kinds of decisions, right? Like, is the potty training really the thing I want to focus on? Or maybe it's more this kindness issue or we're having trouble with sharing and I want to teach them empathy. So that's one where I'm going to be willing to intervene and do the work. So I do think it kind of provides a framework for the decision making about which issues are worth working on and which ones do you go, you know what, maybe I can let this go because it's going to organically burn out like the pacifier example. I feel like I see this so much in the questions that we get from our listeners and just a sort of general parenting conversation. Like one example that comes to mind is somebody was talking about their kid lying often as I think a three-year-old, like pretty young. And this person's co-parent was like, they can't lie so that you need to clamp down on that because this three-year-old needs to learn to understand that lying is not acceptable And this co-parent was sort of like, I think they're three and do three-year-olds lie? And like, do I need to fix this? Do I need to be all over this or will it go away on its own? So what would you say as a future-focused parenting answer to that question? Yeah, I think that this is kind of where that long-range view helps a lot. Because is it sort of age appropriate for a three-year-old to be fiddling around with lying and trying to maybe sort that out? Absolutely. And then, so do we need to be like panicked that I have a liar on my hands? No. (laughs) But at the same time, I think when you have a long range view of, do I want an adult who feels comfortable lying or do I want to raise an adult of integrity, right? Who's honest and shares the truth. Then it becomes an issue that you say, I want to make sure we're looking at this and I want to make sure we're talking about it. Do I need to clamp down and punish them? And it's all over because we have a liar. No. But when you have that sort of long range view, you look at who's the adult I'm trying to raise and it informs the decision making in the moment. So I think that's an amazing example of we don't want parents to just solve the problem right here. We really encourage parents to think about how can you be in dialogue with your children? How can you be over time, over the years, helping them grow into the adults that we're looking to raise? Does that make sense? It does, because I think lying is an interesting example because it is developmentally appropriate. And that's something we talk a lot with people about that, like, you're this long range view in a way it's complicated because you would say like, yes, I don't want to raise a liar therefore, but you have to mix into that. Like what is developmentally appropriate and that behavior is not personality that like, this is a behavior that might be indicating something that's going on with them, but that this is not who they are. And I think in parenting, those distinctions are extraordinarily important. Like, is this behavior or is this how my kid is turning out? And they're very different things. Absolutely. I mean, we say all the time, you know, your feelings are okay. This behavior is not. And that's, I think, what we're saying is that if you take lying as a great example, leaning into your own comfort with this is age appropriate and I'm not going to panic about it, but you also aren't going to just ignore it and say, it's cool. It's age appropriate. You just go ahead and lie to me. There's a middle ground to be found, which is, again, we always encourage dialoguing with children and parenting from a place of emotional intelligence and really like parenting with love and empathy. So you probably wouldn't be like, eh, whatever, but you're also not going to 
send them to their room and take away all their toys because they've lied to you. It's that middle ground of noticing, hmm, this is probably age appropriate. And as a parent, when I see an age appropriate developmental thing, it's also my job to come in and teach them. That's our job, right? So picking those battles and being able to recognize, you know, this is one that maybe we need to be talking about. I'm not going to punish or panic, but obviously we need to have a conversation about it and that's okay. Does that make sense? It does. I want to ask about what's the problem you see here? Like, it seems to me that ideally parenting is always future focused, but where do you see people falling down in this? Like when we're not parenting this way, (laughs) what are we focusing on? We're focusing too much on today? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's kind of two things that we see. One has to do with the children. One has to do with the adults. With the children, there's a lot of inconsistency in parents who are just, oh, and I got to fight this fire today. And now this cropped up. And so the child doesn't really know what to expect. And it makes it really confusing for them about which behavior is going to have a response, which one isn't, what are my expectations, how do I meet them? That can be really confusing, especially as a child grows and is really trying to become themselves and figure all of that out. But the other thing that we see is the parents feel they're always on their heels, they're always surprised by what happens or feel like the chair just got pulled out from behind them. And they're really responding all the time and having to react and come up with something in the moment instead of feeling like, okay, this happened. I mean, and we all do get thrown curveballs, but a parent who's really being intentional to be future focused will say, oh, this cropped up. But because of that adult that I'm aiming at and those things we've already talked about, I at least have a plan for how I'm going to approach this. And what we call the opposite of that is whack-a-mole parenting. You remember that old game, (laughs) whack-a-mole? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's like, this happened, smash it. Oh, tantrum in aisle nine at the grocery store, stop. You know, instead of, okay, we have an overall framework for this person that we're working to raise. And that helps us make decisions as things occur rather than constantly just reacting to whatever happened. Yeah, I think the example we give a lot is the grocery store because like what parent hasn't had a kid meltdown in aisle nine at the grocery store? 100%. Right. And the difference between a future focused parent and somebody who's maybe just winging it or doing that whack-a-mole version is that, you know, they're going to maybe give the kid Cocoa Puffs like here, just have your Cocoa Puffs. They want the problem to stop, which of course we all want the problem to stop. Like, let me be clear. But I think with future focused parenting, we're going to choose to recognize is that tantrums coming from somewhere, we're going to want to examine what's going on. And we're going to want to help teach our child in that moment, what are the coping skills you need in aisle nine? (laughs) Maybe they're not going to get it perfect when they're toddlers. But if you're doing this time and time again, as they grow into, you know, older kids, they start to develop a skill set for managing their emotions for navigating the world, because we took the time to actually get down to their level and have a conversation instead of just getting the problem to stop with the Cocoa Puffs. And also you're developing a skill set as a parent to say, like, I don't take hungry kids to the grocery store. <laughs> and this is the thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with like buying your kids cocoa puffs sometimes, but if you have an overall philosophy, it helps you, you know, figure out how to not end up in the same bad situation again and again and again. And I think that we always say the only thing we're trying to put in your path is not like, here's a harder way to parent, but it's a better way. It's like, this actually helps you 
have an easier life. That's why we do it. It's not because it's a rule and like you're better if you do it this way. It's because it actually makes it easier. Absolutely. And that's what we see with a lot of the feedback we get from parents is like now (laughs) things are calmer in my house. We have a sense of why we're doing what we're doing. It makes it easier for us to make parenting decisions. Our kids understand why we're doing what we're doing. It just takes them out of that like feeling of being constantly underwater into a feeling of being a little more on top of things. Yes. And I think there's another aspect of that for kids. I want us to take a break and and talk about it when we come back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need, and yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, we're back. We were just talking on another episode. It was dealing with bureaucracy and how like you go on Monday and you don't need this form and then you go on Tuesday and you do need the form. And what's frustrating about that is that it feels like there's no why behind anything. It just feels like you're in this factory of choices that random people are making that are not connected to anything. For our kids, if they see us as that whack-a-mole who's just like constantly pounding on them, that can really cause a lot of friction in our relationship. And that's something I respond to about this idea of like, if they kind of see us having an overall why, it just leads to more 
respect for our decisions. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And you're right. It's very unmooring for a child to not kind of know what to expect or to see their parent constantly frustrated or maybe responding with an inappropriate level of emotion that the situation calls for. Not only is that confusing, but it's so kind of going to make an impact on their development. So I think you're exactly right. That's not what we want to be doing at all. And yet this looks different from family to family. So that's why we talk about the why, because my why even is different than Kira's and will be different from yours. And so the child also, I think the benefit of parenting this way is as they understand, oh, my parents have a why and they have these values that they're operating from. They also feel more like part of the team. We see a lot more buy-in from children in doing even things like chores because they feel I'm part of something here. I know what the plan is. I know what the program is. And we're all in it together. It doesn't feel so disjointed each man for himself kind of thing. Can you explain what your why and your unique family values? Can you sort of elaborate on what that might look like for a given family? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a mental health background. So my why is I want to raise mentally healthy and happy adults. And so then when I look at, okay, what are the values in my home that are going to support raising those adults? And my husband and I sat down and we talked about like, what what matters to us? Like, what are the character traits they need to be mentally healthy and happy? And so we have a values list that includes things like compassion, empathy, tenacity. What else is on there? Integrity. Dina and I cross over on a few of them, and that's one of them. And so we actually have, and I'm kind of, Dina and I are kind of nerdy this way, but I actually have like a list posted in our house of like, these are our values. We value integrity. We value kindness. We value compassion. And we kind of define those. And then as I'm parenting, I will often point out to them when they've done something that is kind of aligned with our values. Like, hey, that was super kind thank you. We really value kindness in this house. That was amazing. Thanks for upholding our values. Or if we're at a crossroads, like my son had a situation at school where he was being lightly cyberbullied on online school. And when we sat down to talk about it, he was really mad. And I was able to say, look, I get, I totally understand why you're mad. I would be mad too. And we value compassion in our home. So can we think about this compassionately? Can we try and at least step into what might be happening for this other kid and try and understand why they might have done what they did so that at least we're considering their point of view and considering where they were at when they made that decision? And that is kind of what we're talking about. That's the difference between like my kids being bullied. I'm going to run to the principal and that's the end of it. I had an opportunity to really show my kiddo this is how we uphold those values. And this is how I raise you later when you're older to be able to do that, which is going to help you be mentally healthy and happy. I think that that's something that people don't, they skip. And it's something that I remember from my own childhood that at some point, I mean, I can think of three or four examples. One was I came home and I had said to the guy, I was probably 16, just driving a car. And I said to my dad, like, oh, I had said to the guy I needed to put pay cash or charge, whatever it was. And he made a mistake and he filled up my gas tank. And I was like, and I got it for free because he forgot that I said the one thing. And he was like, get in the car. We're driving back to the gas station. Like that person might have to pay for that out of their, you know, whatever their pay because they made a mistake. And like, we don't take other people's mistakes as our financial advantage because that's gross. And like, Driving back, I mean, my dad was very good, I feel like, about giving voice to like, this is an opportunity to practice a human value, you know? And I think that, again, if it feels heavy to people, it's really just giving voice to something that 
you know, my, I have a son who's struggling with something and I often find myself saying like, you can defend people, but you don't mind other people's business. This person's fight with someone else in middle school is not your fight. And so you don't get involved and in, you don't mind other people's business is something I'm saying all the time in terms of like, whatever the alliances that are kind of going on in middle school that like you can stand up for your friends. But like when you see someone else behaving badly, it's not your business to be that person's boss. It's a sort of subtle thing that's going on. But I think that if it seems confusing to people, it's really just about voicing a very specific set of values consistently because that's how it kind of gets drilled into kids' heads. Dina, I just realized we forgot to hear your unique family values. Yeah. So I do have a different overarching why. And this is kind of something we talk about is having that overarching why. Who's the adult you're trying to raise? And then your little whys as you deal with situations kind of come from that. So my overarching why, and this is partly because in our family, we have a faith paradigm is raising adults of character and integrity. And we did the same thing. We have the dorky list, but we actually really encourage families to talk about what are your values? How will you get to that adult that you're aiming at? And so here's- You don't my- just buy it at home goods, yeah. right? And store it up on the wall. You have to make your own list. There you go. In this house, we hug. <laughs> but I mean, it was really helpful. I think it was great. Even when my kids were pre-readers, I could refer to it and remind myself which things, again, it helped with that decision-making framework. Oh, is this a kindness issue? Well, is kindness a piece of being a person of character? Yes, it is. I should probably intervene here. And what Kira said is so right. It also works when you maybe have to gently correct a behavior or redirect. So there were times when maybe I wasn't seeing a sharing behavior and I would say, you know what? We really value sharing in our family. Can you think of a way to work this out? Or I heard you say something to your brother that wasn't really kind. We value kindness in our family. Can you talk through a way that you could have said that more kindly. It gives this opportunity like for a do-over while talking about here's something that's important in our household. So having that to refer to even while they were pre-readers was great. But what was so fun is as they learned to read, they would go and be like checking it out. And of course, at first, what were they doing? They were going to point out what their sibling wasn't doing. They were policing, right? Yep, she wasn't being kind. That wasn't good stewardship, you know, whatever it was. But shocking. But it was great because they eventually really internalized those. And I see evidence of those now that they're teens and young adults really in their own lives. A lot of them became their own values. And of course, our kids aren't going to adopt every single thing that we try to impart to them. But a lot of it does really get in. And it's really gratifying to get kind of a front row seat to watch them become grownups and have these values as they move through the world. Can we talk about what a proactive response might be? Because that's one of sort of your pillars of this future-focused parenting, that you can take a more proactive approach. Most of what we've talked about so far are sort of reactive approaches, what you're doing when your kid is fighting or not being nice or lying. Can you talk about how you apply these proactively? I love this question because, so twofold, first of all, the situations we've been talking about are absolutely reactive. But when we choose to actually intervene and have the conversation, we're being proactive for the next time, which is great. It's like a win. So you're like, yes, I'm reacting, but look at me. I'm also being proactive. (laughs) Another example of this that maybe isn't off the back of a reaction, I give this example on the show a lot, is um, Halloween. (laughs) So every year on Halloween, I wanted trick-or-treaters that were polite. It was important to me at matches my family values, right? That they're going to go and they're not just going to grab the candy and run. I wanted them to say thank you and wish people a happy Halloween. So 
I took a proactive approach by practicing. So the day before Halloween, when they were little, they would knock on the door and I'd answer the door and I'd have my bowl of candy and they'd say trick or treat and we'd have a little exchange and they got it, gave them an opportunity to wrap their brains and their little mouths around how does this interaction look? What does it feel like to be polite and meet those expectations that my mom has? And so then when we went out on Halloween the next day, they were so much more likely to be successful because they'd had an opportunity to practice it. Another example we give a lot is like if you're going to a dinner party and you're taking your kids along, using the car ride to talk about like, you know, if you get past a food you're not fond of, what's a polite way to decline it? Or if you need to use the restroom, you know, how do you ask politely if you can't find me? So that you don't have, you know, kiddo at the table saying, ew, carrots, I hate carrots. <laughs> and just these little ways that not only can you help sort of have a pleasant experience ahead of you, but it actually empowers our kids. Because back to what Dina was saying, when they kind of know like, okay, this is what I need to be doing and I've had a chance to practice it, they feel like they know what to do. So they're not kind of twitching going, oh gosh, I need to go to the bathroom and I, where is it? I don't know where it is. They've actually had a chance to like practice that with you. What is that going to look like? So everybody wins. And then of course the car ride home when it's gone well, we have an opportunity to celebrate that with them and say like, Hey, I was so impressed at dinner tonight. Thank you so much. You were so polite. That's amazing. I'm so proud to take you places or whatever. And it builds up that positive experience just as a whole. And the other like side bonus you get here that we talk about a lot is when you're proactive in this way, you're also preventative. Because that conversation Kira described about being past a food you don't like or needing to use the restroom, when they know how to handle that, now you've prevented the child who shouts, I need to poop in the middle of a nice dinner at your boss's house. Right. It's and it's catching them being good. That's something that Margaret and I have talked a lot about. I think it was your kid's school gives out awards for that. Yeah, they have some character stuff that I really like. And, and it's a lot of that. Oh, I caught you sharing your pencil, whatever. And they have figured out finding positive examples of character is sometimes better than just here's what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Well, and it makes those moments. This is what I found with mine anyway. And again, they're almost 10. And what I have found is that because I try so hard to set them up for success so that they're more likely to be in a situation where I get to catch them doing something wonderful, that there's so many of those moments that then when a moment comes for me to need to redirect or talk about something, it's been buffered by all the times that they've you know, experienced doing things well and doing things right and being noticed for their efforts and all of this stuff. And so we can have that conversation in a way that doesn't feel like one more criticism, one more blow. It's like, oh, my mom really does catch me when I'm doing everything, you know, really well. And then sometimes I get it wrong. And part of, you know, our paradigm on that for Dina and I is is that when we do need to correct, that we're also normalizing that for them. Like, also, you're eight. It's normal to get that wrong. <laughs> you know, like, that makes perfect sense to me that you got that wrong. Actually, when I was eight, I remember I got that wrong. So that they're not feeling like they're the worst kid in the world. It's like, this is really normal. My job is to teach you. Here we are having a teachable moment. There's another aspect of this that I want to hit on. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. We're talking about telling our kids, you know, these values and how we expect them to live up to them and being very clear about what their values are. But obviously, a big part of this is modeling, right? That like, we often say on the podcast, your kids don't turn out how you tell them to turn out. They turn out like you, you know, they watch your behavior and they see your behavior. How do you talk about modeling this with your kids versus this idea of I'm presenting you with a list that you'll live up to? Right. And modeling is really important, I think, on both sides where you're modeling the values that you're working to instill, but also being really real when you don't get it right. We think both are important. So one time I got incorrect change at the store. And I actually talked to my kids about the thing to do if you have integrity is you go back and you give back the extra money. And what I like about that is even though I said it to my small people as, oh, we got too much money, we need to go back in. They got a real world example of this big word on the values chart because a two-year-old, they're like, integrity, what's that? They don't know. But they start to learn what it looks like. And then it helps with some of that larger vocabulary. They can see that by how my parents are acting. But on the other side, like you were saying, they've got to know that it's also normal to not always get it right. And so we talk a lot in our family and I do have olders, but even when they were little, we talked a lot about, oh, you know what? Mommy just made a mistake. Here's what happened. I felt really frustrated with this and I kind of let my temper get the better of me. And then I raised my voice And you heard that happen, didn't you? You know, we would talk about it. It's like, that's really normal sometimes to lose our patience. And so they get to see that, you know what? Even my parents don't always get it right. And I think that helps them because when they have a struggle, they're like, oh, you know what? Even the grownups struggle. It really makes it not so scary. And like, they don't feel like I'm an island. I'm a person who's never had this feeling. You know, I'm the only person who's felt this way or dealt with this struggle. They know other people are too. So we talk a lot. We kind of pair those two things. Kira was just talking about rehearsing. We talk all the time, rehearse and model, give them a chance to practice and then let them see you practicing as you live, because we're going to get it right sometimes and get it wrong other times. 
Well, and I mean, I'm so glad you asked this because from the mental health perspective, this is one of the most important things I feel like I do in my parenting and that I talk with other parents about is that normalizing piece that you brought up of saying like, I struggled with this. I went through this. Like, I cannot overstate how important it is as parents that our kids realize that they are not the only person who's experienced this, that they're, you know, we are perfect in their eyes up until a point. <laughs> and up until that point, that they realize that we're not perfect, that actually they consistently see us show them like, you know what, I went through this too. This is really normal. The way that that can offset things like depression and anxiety is huge. And really, if parents could do more and more of that, just letting them know that, yeah, I'm frustrated in this moment, or yeah, I don't like that that happened. But just so you know, like you're eight, that makes sense to me, right? Or if they're having a big feeling, even the tantrum in the grocery store. I did that with my kids. Like, hey, I get it. It is frustrating to not, you know, be able to buy that right now. I remember feeling that way when I was your age too. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm still going to help them figure out how to process the feelings and shift the behavior. But I can totally acknowledge for them that what they're going through is normal and that mom's gone through it too. That is so incredibly important. Can I ask you a question about consistency? Because it seems like underpinning all of this is consistency, right? That's what makes this easy from moment to moment because you have these long-term goals. It has to be, in that case, consistency between co-parents who might be in the same house and might not. How do you get buy-in from the co-parent on this who might either not be in the same house with you anymore or who might say, like, oh, come on, they're kids, like, uh, tweet, tweet, if you have a <laughs> co-parent who's resistant to this? How do you get on the same page? Or if you're not going to get on the same page, how do you provide consistency when there might not be so much consistency? Yeah. Kira, do you want to talk about that in an intact family? And then I can share from the two-household perspective. Sure. So I think that actually doing the value system exercise and sitting down, if, the, if you have an intact family with a partner who's living in the home, sitting down and talking about this and figuring out well, what are we aiming at and what are our values actually goes a long way. Because when you've agreed on something, it's a lot easier to get your partner to stick by it when you're like, hey, you agreed to these values. <laughs> like, So I'm just trying to uphold them here. You know, you're more likely to get buy in if you're doing the planning together. And so we actually talk a lot about this, you know, in our work about parenting on the same page. And so again, because my husband is, you know, in our home, we live together, we have a weekly one to one check in on Sunday nights. And some of it's strategic, just looking at the week and going who's covering who where. But that's really a time where we also often will look at issues that have cropped up with one of our kids and have the time to really talk about it, process it, come back to, okay, what do we know matters to us? Like, this is a tenacity issue. So how are we going to handle this? Because tenacity is really important to us. And so I think carving out that time, if you can, you're not really going to find it, no one's going to find it, but making that consistent time to connect to be able to troubleshoot and come back to the thing that you already created together, that's a really good place to start. And then I would say if you've got a resistant partner in the home that just isn't going to show up for it and isn't going to do it, then it's probably going to look a lot more like what Dina's going to share where you're, you've got two different homes. So Dina. And that is true. If you can do the things Kira just described with a co-parent who's in another household, I'm a fan. I mean, you might be having an amicable situation where you can say, hey, we're going to, you know, chat every so often, have like a co-parenting meeting and get on the same page. I love that when that can happen, because it's also another opportunity to be proactive. You can say, oh, you know what? Our oldest is about to turn 15. How are we going to handle 
driver's ed across households and who's paying for that. And it's a great opportunity to talk, but recognizing that that is not the situation for everybody. And I'm divorced. And so we have a bio parent in another house. And so I've definitely dealt with this. And there have been times where the values, frankly, just don't match. And so I know that what is going to go on in the other home isn't really going to uphold our family's values. And so in that case, my biggest advice, that's the two C's, consistency and communication. In your home, you have to be consistent so that your kids at least know, you know what, when I'm at mom's, I know what to expect. And it's amazing. Kids do figure out what they can get away with at each house. That's 100% true. They will learn. So you don't abdicate your role as your child's first and best teacher just because the other parent isn't on the bus. So that's the first thing is you being consistent in your house. But the second one is communication. So even if I knew that my ex-husband wasn't going to support a decision I made, I still communicated it to him. Hey, you know what? I need you to know that I had to take away our son's phone. Here's why. If you can't get a hold of him, I just wanted you to know why. At our house, he's not going to have his phone. I realized once he comes back to you for visitation, you may choose to give it back to him. And that's for you to decide. But I want you to have that heads up of what I'm doing and why. So that really goes a long way to smooth out the chance for a conflict if you're at least communicating with that other household. And I do the same with my kids. I communicate to them now, you know what, I know your dad might handle this different. But in our house, fill in the blank, we do this or we don't do this. And so here's why I needed to level this consequence. And so I want you to know what to expect from me and why. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I also think that there has to be some flexibility on our values as our kids get older, right? We talk a lot about ages and stages and like there, can you talk a little bit about like as our kids approach adulthood and become young adults, like what is the room for flexibility within these values? Like in our household, you know, we had these very specific set of values. I know in my household growing up, we had very specific sets of expectations. And all the four children, my siblings and I, we grew outside of them in different ways as we got older. And that definitely happens. And I've got some who are already not in my home and I've got some who are still in my home, but doing things a little bit differently. And so really the way that I've kind of parsed this out, because it is uncomfortable, I want to acknowledge that for those of you parenting, even I would say upper grade school and on, your kids will start to, and they should, they're starting to individuate and figure out who they are. And it means that they're going to start maybe making decisions where you're like, ooh, that's not what I would have done. <laughs> or I'm maybe not even a fan of it, right? That's going to start happening and it can be pretty uncomfortable. So I just want to acknowledge that is hard. At the same time, I think it again comes back to the flexibility is for them. What they really need to see from you is that you're still strong in what you stand for. So as my kids have started to grow and have started to maybe decide, oh, I'm not sure I subscribe to this value. It's okay for me to say, you know what, that is still a strong value to me. But I'm happy to talk with you as you figure out what are the things that are important to you. And even if they make a decision that I don't love, I can say, you know, I wouldn't have done that. And here's why I might explain. Here's where I stand. I understand that you might end up somewhere else. So I would say for me, the flexibility, if I'm just being honest, it's not that I'm flexible in my values. It's that I'm offering them flexibility to not pick my values as theirs. Mm -hmm. I think that's well said. We've been talking to Kira, Dorian and Dina. Thayer. They're the co-founders of Future Focused Parenting and the co-hosts of the Raising Adults podcast. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. 
Sure. So we talk about all the different parenting things, as a lot of parenting podcasts do. We keep our episodes to about 30 minutes. And every time we cover a topic, so like we just did kids and peer pressure, we always start with sharing our why, because obviously we care a lot about the why. So we'll talk about like, what was our why around how we handled peer pressure? And then we jump pretty quickly to tangible tools, like things parents can try right away. (laughs) Because as I said earlier, we love the theory, but we're big fans of like, how do we actually do that? And it's interesting because Dina and I, we align so much on our parenting perspective. And oftentimes our hows will look really similar, but our whys will look really different. We come, Dina mentioned she has a faith paradigm in her home. I do not. And so oftentimes there's just slightly different perspectives on the same thing, which is kind of cool. And yeah, we just try and cover everything. We have guests from time to time in certain areas. But between the two of us, I have a mental health background. Dina has an education background, and we're both childbirth educators and doulas, so we cover a lot of stuff on there. Wow, you cover the waterfront, huh? Childbirth to young 20s. Cradle to college. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, I'm going to put the links to Future Focus Parenting and your podcast in our show notes for this episode because there's so much content on your website. It's really a great place to find out more if this conversation has sparked things for you, which I'm sure it has. And we have a freebie for your listeners. I don't know if or you're comfortable with me mentioning that on the show. Free stuff, sure. Yeah, free stuff. So if you go to our website, it's on there, but you can also use a direct link, which is bit.ly slash Raising Adults Podcast. And you get two free things. You get a video that is called Three Essential Strategies for Raising Adults. And then you get a calendar of character traits, which is not an actual calendar. So it's a little misleading. What it is, is 12 months of different character traits, some of which we've discussed today. Kindness is on there. Empathy is on there. You get the definition. You get examples of activities you can do with your kid to foster that character trait. Examples of books you could be reading with your kids that focus on that character trait. So it's pretty robust and just a really good place to start if people are listening to this and going, yeah, that sounds like a lot. Like (laughs) You can just... Just download this and then start, you know, start in June. Here we go. Here's June's character trait. It's kindness. And just think about kindness for the month and do some of the activities. It has questions that you can be discussing with your co-parent if you have one, things to think about for your own modeling. So all the things we've talked about, we kind of make it tangible for how do you apply that to this particular character trait. Awesome. Fantastic. And that's all at futurefocusedparenting.com. Yep. You can find it there too. Kira and Dina, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much for having us. Our pleasure. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. 
With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.